The Bible tells us God's story. And the Bible tells us the story of the people Israel. And, and, and one of the things that I've always loved about the Bible, compared to some of the other holy scriptures uh, of different faiths, is that the people that are depicted in here are broken, like us. You know, I mean, they sin, they do stupid things, they, uh, they do really well for a while, and then they mess up again, and uh, we're created in God's image, but we don't necessarily reflect that image too well. And, and so God had to come up with a way to fix that, because we, we, humanity, have... Uh, kind of lost our way and messed it up enough that we couldn't fix it. And so God does. And so you and I, just like the people in here, are imperfect people. I love to call my congregation in Sherwood the motley crew of misfits. Because that's exactly what we are. If you look around at each other, um, with what you know about each other, because in Avery County, everybody's connected. Would you pick the person that's sitting next to you to be a brother or a sister or a son? And so here we are, gathered together, broken people, sinners. We have wealthy, we have poor we run the gamut of society. And this is a tragic love story that we are discussing today, but it's one that has a happy ending. It's a Hallmark movie. And my wife, if she were here, would be going, amen. How many of you, all right, truth be told, how many of you like Hallmark movies? Come on, there you are. Go ahead. He just put your hand up for you. He's going like this. Yeah, okay. So anyway, so here's the deal. Um, as broken as we are or we have been, God has never given up on us. God has never given up on me, thank God, and I, and I probably would have given up on myself a long time ago. Never stop giving them another chance. The hand's been outstretched, and I can't tell you how many times I've not taken that hand. And in fact, I didn't go to seminary until I was age 57, so I didn't I had a PhD in not getting with the program. So here's the deal. The deal is these scriptures today describe four different people. One, uh, Uzziah. She was, I think he probably comes from uh, the book of Isaiah somewhere around there. 
And, and we talk about the call of him. And, and then um, we, we turn around and we go to Psalms 138, a psalm written by David. A man after God's own heart, but one who really knew how to screw up. All you got to do is read Psalm 51. And then we go to 1 Corinthians, 15th chapter, written by Paul, a.k.a. Saul, a guy who was probably the greatest, um, the greatest villain in the beginning of the creation of the new church of Christ followers. And then there are a couple of fishermen that uh, Jesus runs into in Luke 5. Peter, James, John. Um, Hard-working folk. Um, probably not the ones I would pick to be disciples. And so God, these are stories, but they have a message for all of us. And, uh, and so I'm not exactly sure who has what as far as readings are, are concerned, but um, they're all love stories. They're all stories of how God has been in pursuit of people People like you and me. It's sometimes easy to forget that you and I were created in love. We were created by love. And we were created for love. And sometimes we get so wrapped up in our stuff in the stuff of our lives and in the stuff of what is going on around us, uh, it's fairly easy to lose sight of our God-given identity and our calling. Thank God God continues to see each of us as reflections of his own divine image and calls us as ones restored by Christ for loving service in the world. So I think I've got the, uh, the first scripture, because I was sitting back there when Ina came around on Wednesday and said, uh, you, and you, and you. And John, I would have been happy to give it to you, or, but I didn't want to give it to you 30 seconds before you had to read it. So um, this is Isaiah's commission. And you'll notice that this is the sixth chapter. Um, he's already been doing his thing in the first five, prophesying for God. But in the sixth chapter, Isaiah speaks to his commissioning. In the year that King Uzziah died, 
I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people with unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and, and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. I'm... Uh, I automatically go back to Enbury Methodist Church, where I grew up in a little town a couple miles from the coast in New Jersey. Fred Lowry was this incredibly booming voice. And we would sing, Here I Am, Lord. And Fred would sing God's part. And then the congregation would respond. And I, every time I hear, you know, I, the Lord of CNC, and I'm going, Fred, my goodness gracious sakes, and he was old in those days, uh, but he made an impression. Isaiah, son of Amos, uh, started his ministry in 704 B.C. I just give you this as a little bit of background. He was a contemporary with Hosea and Amos and Micah. All those people you're really deeply familiar with. And, but he was there at a time when the Assyrians were moving towards them. And, and uh, in fact, uh, the Assyrians took out the northern kingdom of Israel and started to come towards Jerusalem. And King Hezekiah one of the ones that was a truly holy king, prayed, cried out to the Lord, and Isaiah was the one who uh, prophesied that they would not enter Jerusalem. And indeed, they did not. And so that's kind of a background. Uh, I mean, later on, the Babylonians, it, it's, I mean, it was a tough time. Isaiah was called to say some tough things 
to the people, things that they needed to hear. I got to tell you something. If I had a vision with Hezekiah, I mean, excuse me, with uh, with Isaiah, and and I'm I, I'm I'm in this temple, and it's filled filled with God's robe, and and the seraphs are flying around, and the everything's shaking when they're singing, you know, holy, 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 and and smoke is rising up. I have come in contact with the holy. And I suspect that I would be on the floor eating dirt because I would not even feel worthy to be in the same dream with him. And that's exactly what happened. And we're going to hear over and over again that people feel unworthy as they encounter Christ, as they encounter God, but God makes them worthy. And God has that same message for you and for me. The divine presence, and you know when you feel like you're on holy ground. We've all been there at one time or another. Uh, you feel God's presence. It may be in a beautiful sunset. It may be. It may be at a time when things are all falling apart. I don't know, but it's when we feel our own unworthiness that God can take us and mold us and shape us and commission us. Because God always comes in mercy and comes with grace. See, God sees us in our lost and our fragile state. I mean, he knows who we are. He cleanses us from that which would separate us from him. As parents, our kids do wrong. But we want it right. And when they're lost, we want them found. And we know them. And they're a part of who we are. Think about that from a God perspective. whether it be a son or a daughter or a mother or a father who say, I'm sorry, uh, I was wrong, I love you. There's nothing more powerful than that, that reuniting that can take place. So that's the first lesson for this morning. Now, we come to Psalm 138. Who's got Psalm 138? Uh, a Psalm of King David. I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. Before the gods, I will sing your praise. I will bow down toward your holy temple and will praise your name for your love and your faithfulness. 
for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. When I called, you answered me. You made me bold and stout-hearted. May all the kings of the earth praise you, O Lord, when they hear the words of your mouth. May they sing of the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. Though the Lord is on high, he looks upon the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes. With your right hand, you save me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your love, O oh Lord, endures forever. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. Do not abandon the works of your hands. Thank you. You know, I can remember times when uh, I felt so close to God. I, I, I remember when I got reconnected, or when I connected, reconnected with God. God had always been trying to connect with me, but I got reconnected with God. And, and I used to run a lot before I replaced knees. And, and it was such a high that I would run in Germany in the Bad Wibblerwald, in the, the forest of the town of Bad Vibbel, and, and I'd run six, seven miles, and I had a running partner. That's how close I felt that I was with Christ at that time. That's what changed my life and put me where I am today. It was those kinds of moments. But at the same time, I've got to tell you, there have been plenty of times when I have felt like God, I'm, you know, hello, is there anybody home? Where are you? I need you. And I know there are people here that have experienced that. I, I know it. And, and David is saying, in essence, you know, things are going pretty good. I, I love you for it, but you know what? When things are not going well, I know what you've done in the past. You have been faithful in the past, and I can trust that you will be faithful in the future. And oh, by the way, Lord, because of that, I know that I can call out to you and, and I can remind you of your nature because you've shown it to me over and over again. So when I feel like I'm missing out on some of that and I, and I need it because I need to be, to be reinvigorated, I can say, Lord, hear my prayer. I've trusted you in the past. And I know you'll be faithful in the future. And this is from a man who God sent Nathan to because of all the stuff that had been involved with Bathsheba and the killing 
of Uriah the Hittite, her husband, so that he could legally marry her. The very one who was so broken by his sinfulness that he wrote probably one of the most powerful psalms, Psalm 51. My sins are ever before me. My sins are ever before me, and yet God was there to take him back and to love him. There were consequences, don't get me wrong. There were real-world consequences for David. But the thing that separated him from God was broken and the relationship restored. All right, so God, God is there for us because God's been there before. We can trust that promise that he is with us and we can call out to him because of the fact that uh, we know he loves us. All right, who's got 1 Corinthians 15? Thank you, John. Okay. The resurrection of Christ. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the world, I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. But what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, now, last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. <laughs> For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not but the grace of God that was with me, whether then I was, whether then it was I or they, this is what they, we preach, and this is what we, what you believe. Okay, thank you. <clears throat> I can't imagine what it would have been like to have been Saul on the road to Damascus. We, we get to reading about, in Acts, about the fact that Stephen was stoned to death and Saul stood by and approved. And that he then gathered letters to go to Damascus to, uh, to persecute those new Christ followers, those new Christians. Uh, 
But God had, uh, God moves subtly in some ways, and sometimes, like he did with me, have to hit you up the side of the head. And, and Saul had to hit you up the side of the head moment. And he realized that the very person he was persecuting, the very people he was persecuting were the ones that actually had the right way, and he had been the one that was wrong. And, and so he says, I was a man untimely born. I, I don't deserve. I was wrong. I was broken. And yet in God's eyes, as he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me has not been in vain. Because of what Christ did, because of what Saul found out and came face to face with his own sinfulness and God's righteousness and, 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 and the love and, and the grace that was provided through Christ, crucified and resurrected, he knows that what he is is only because of God's grace. Nothing else. He doesn't deserve it. And yet, Kind of like my mom when she had been smoking for 40 years. One day she got up and she realized that she was wrong. And she put those cigarettes down. And my Lord, she never touched another one. But she was obnoxious about being around folks that were. That was kind of like what Paul was. Paul became a fool for Christ. I mean, that's kind of really what he was. He was a fool for Christ. And he did everything that he could possibly do to touch people and to keep them on track with their first, their first belief. For I handed on to you as of first importance what I in turn received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with those scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve and on and on. And because of that, he worked harder. Because of what God did for him through Christ that he knew he didn't deserve, he worked harder and longer to accomplish what he did. Hmm. Yeah. Death does not have that last word. And so that caused me to think about who were the ones that told me about that good news, where it finally clicked. And then the question that follows on with that at the golf course yesterday as I'm walking was, who am I going to share that with as part of my daily life? And finally, we come to Luke 5, 1 to 11. Who has that? 
Well, I have that. This is what happened. Don't worry about it. Shoot. I had it printed out, but we'll just go to Luke 5 real quick right here. Just a moment. Getting back there. This is kind of a neat story. Um, all right, here we go. Luke 5, 1 to 11. The calling of the first disciples. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Genesaret, or as I told Wally this morning, Sea of Galilee, which is a little bit easier, with, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. <laughs> and Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught a thing. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And so when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men and women. So they pulled their boats up on shore left everything, and followed him. <laughs> wow. Um, another story where somebody comes uh, into the presence of God. Surprise, complete surprise. And yet something transformational happens. I, I, I made a saint, one of these round nets that they threw out. They didn't, you know, put out the long nets that went a half mile behind there. They had these big circular nets that were weighted around the side. And what you would do is you would throw it out like this, and it would hit the water, and it would drop down, and hopefully, as you pulled it in, you would gather together fish that you had caught as it went down. If you do it properly, it's a lot of work. I mean, it can be mindless. It's a great time to be putting things through your head, but it's a lot of work. And so if you do that all night, 
and nobody catches anything. And then you've got, you've heard about this Jesus guy, I'm sure, because, you know, they were all talking about him. And they come down, and he's there, and the fisher partners are mending up their nets and doing all their things. And the next thing you know, um, Jesus climbs in the boat, asks him to jump in, and the next thing we know, we've got a, an experience. I think he knew that there was something extra going on, something special going on. I think he knew he was in the presence of somebody. You know when you're around somebody that's different. And so he, instead of being blown away and attending to the fish that had been caught, he's in a different place. He talks about, I'm a sinful man. Get away from me. He's pleading his own unworthiness, but God has a different plan for us. Jesus turns away his unworthiness and empowers him to become worthy, to, to become someone. Doesn't allow him to be mired in his sin. God, in his love through Christ, wants to write a different identity story for us. And he calls Peter and he calls us into loving service. So my, my point there would be that when you feel a nudge toward a particular act of love or compassion, don't just assume you already know what the outcome is going to be risk the fact that holiness may be at hand and allow God to work through you. You and I were created in love, by love, and for love. And we're so, so wrapped up in ourselves, I think, that we forget God's identity, God's given identity and calling for your life and for mine. God is going to be there for you. Are we able to say, here I am, Lord, send me. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.